Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives Podcast. I'm Adam Turtletow from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. Joining us today from the United Kingdom is Jane Mitchell. Jane is a consultant who specializes in culture, ethics, values, and leadership, and has been a frequent speaker at SCCE conferences through the year. And joining us from Denver is Philip Winterburn. Philip is the ethics principal at One Trust Ethics and also been a regular feature at many of our meetings. Uh, first, Jane, Philip, thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you, Adam. Looking forward to the conversation. As am I. And today we're going to have a conversation uh, about disruption and the state of where we are. You both know the world is dealing with unprecedented levels of disruption. Um, that, coupled with ever-increasing political polarization, has driven people to look to business for a sense of purpose and ethical alignment. Companies with highly ethical cultures founded on core values and driven by a common purpose have long been proven to outperform their competitors in good times and bad, and yet leaders still fail sometimes to apply themselves to influencing their cultures effectively. My question to you both is, with so much disruption and polarization, some are arguing that employees want the workplace to be one with a shared sense of purpose and ethical alignment. Um, are you seeing, from your perspective, ethics, culture, and integrity growing more prominent in the dialogue today? I think that there is an increased conversation about it, Adam. And I think that increasingly it is more complex because post-COVID, and I, I understand that we're still within COVID, but in terms of um, post-COVID and work, what it means for work, I think that leaders are really struggling um, in organisations to understand what the impact of that has been on the people who work with them or for them, whichever they view, whichever way they view it. And I think they're struggling with how to how to manage that because I think it's become front and centre of what they need to focus on. And I think it's um, an Ariana Huffington phrase which says a company's culture is its corporate immune system. I think it's a wonderful way of looking at it. And I think that, that coupled with the way that people are, as we might say, either reassessing or realigning or reorganizing or resigning, I think that that's providing a real impetus for organizational leaders to be looking at this stuff. But I, I think it's complex and I think they have to be courageous and brave enough to sit down and put this at the top of their agenda. Philip, what, what are you seeing? Yeah, I completely agree. I think the um, the conversation has accelerated and in increased over the recent years. Um, and it's not just about employees, it's about all the stakeholders. Custom, uh, customers are being much more selective about who they buy from. Um, I've had many conversations with people who are now actually doing the research to understand where they're buying their clothes from, where they're made and the conditions in which the people that make their clothing live. And so we have much greater awareness, I think, now about um, what the global economy actually means to people in far-flung parts of the world and um, the situation in which they're living. And, and in some cases, you know, obviously, those are horrible circumstances. And so <clears throat> there's this rising recognition of that. I think it goes throughout um, business partnerships. Your supply chain, obviously, is key within the compliance world, understanding that. And the challenge for, for leaders now with their employees and understanding, do people really want to work at my company? Because 
where we now have a highly mobile workforce. Working from home has really torn down the last barriers um, to holding people to certain organizations. And people now have the freedom, especially um, knowledge workers, to really be very fluid in where they choose to work. And people are voting with their feet. And we're seeing that with, at the moment, this sort of this massive wave of resignations and realignment where people are choosing new organizations to go work for. And that, I believe, is being driven in large part by the desire to, to work for companies that actually express a sense of purpose that is aligned with the individual's sense of purpose and values. And I yeah. think people feel that they've got choices now. So, you know, if you, and as you both know, I've been saying this for a long time, if you say it, do it. So if you've got a set of values that you're parading around and saying, this is what we stand for, this is the way we do stuff, you better make sure that that's what you do when you get new people in or returning workers, because if they're not seeing it, they now believe that they have choices. Hmm. Well, they, they do. But to me, what's going to be interesting along these lines is um, with potentially job hiring slowing down um, and workers finding it once again, they need to compete for jobs. You know, are we going to see the pendulum shift the other way? And um, also, how are organizations going to readjust to all of this? I mean, you know, on the one hand, I like your analogy that the culture is the immune system, but we've seen not everyone wants to get vaccinated. Um, and that leaders often don't seem to model the values. And that while people talk about, you know, as, as Philip, you were saying, they want to know where clothes came from, how things were made. There's a lot of people who just like, it was on sale and that's what I buy. I mean, how does this all end up working together? you know, in our minds and balancing yeah. this sort of altruistic streak with the fact that a lot of times we make very pragmatic decisions and either turn a blind eye or, or frankly didn't want to know or didn't really think they should be researching, you know, where their television was made. Yeah, I think I'd, I'd answer that with, uh, I think the trend is more important than the metric. I, I agree that there are still lots of people that don't care. Lots of people that are happy to just buy the cheapest thing on the rack or frankly don't have the flexibility not to buy the cheapest thing um, and certainly understand that. But I think the trend is in the direction of having the conversation and being aware. Um, I go back 10, 20 years and these conversations weren't being had at all and now they are. So I think it's, it's moving in the right direction and is accelerating in velocity. Jane, what do you, you think about that? If organisations aren't paying attention, it will come back and bite them in the end. As you know, working in organisations that have suffered ethical failure, which are deeply traumatising for people who work in the organisation um, and sometimes have had tragic outcomes, it's a matter of consciousness, I think broadening, having the courage to broaden the conversation beyond the numbers and the functionality of an organization. It's fine to be smart, but you need to be healthily smart. And I think sometimes those two things have been possibly running in parallel, but never the two shall meet. And I think leaders have really got to recognize that a healthy organization is a smart organization and a sustainable organization. Yeah, I agree. I think the, the question of sustainability and resilience, I think, is going to be key as we go into sort of the next several years. 
Um, there's a recession pending. Is it going to happen or not? We shall see. But there will certainly be turbulent times over the next few years. And it's the resilient organizations that will uh, not just survive, but they'll thrive. And I think those are the companies that are built on a solid cultural foundation where um, CEOs are not delusional. They're not um, being uh, sort of the facts aren't being hidden from them. People aren't burnishing the truth. They have the psychological psychological safety to speak truth to leadership and power. Um, and those organizations have the self-awareness and the foundation of a solid set of values against which to judge their decisions and their strategic direction. Those are the ones that will thrive and come out of this stronger than before. The others will struggle, some will fail, some will skimp through. But I think the organizations that have that foundation um, are the ones that will actually thrive through this. One of the questions that people have to ask is, you know, are the foundations starting to erode? I mean, ethical failures don't generally happen overnight. There's a long series of things that led Mm -hmm. to them, whether it's a leadership that grows increasingly more, I hate using the word risk tolerance, uh, risk tolerant, but really riskier, or there's a lack of controls. Or in some cases, you've got controls that were fine for old leadership, but not for new or vice versa. What are the signs that compliance and ethics teams should be looking at to say, you know what, we got a problem, not now, but we're you know driving really quickly into a brick wall? Um, well, this also plays to, the, to how Philip just, uh, Philip's last point I think that a good signal for an ethics and compliance officer is if they if they land in an organization, let's say it's a new role, or even if it isn't necessarily, take a look around the people um, that are sitting around the exec. If they are a sycophantic group of people who are yes people and where it is quite clear that there is no tolerance of speaking out or challenging a perceived view of a senior leader, that is a real strong indicator. <laughs> because if if you haven't got, and to Philip's point about psychological safety, if you haven't got the sense of safety amongst a group of very senior people who feel able to do what I've just said, then that's a that's a real issue. Just waiting yeah. to happen. I completely agree. I think there's uh, there's this idea of people being people are conflict averse in general. Most people don't like to take an argument in public, um, and yet when you get to large organisations and sitting around the leadership table, if the people reporting into the CEO are not able or are not willing to disagree and to have healthy conflict that organization is set up for failure. And so if you're not seeing that healthy dialogue, that healthy conflict, you know you've got a problem. Um, And you see the same thing with, I've seen this in other organizations where CEOs go out and talk to the employees or they talk to the customers and they come back saying, everything's great. They all told me everything's wonderful. What they don't realize is they have this halo effect around them. Employees want to please executives and leadership. And so they will sort of, tailor things to give the right message because they want to be appreciated. Um, Customers even have a distortion when they're speaking to a CEO because 
they're very grateful the CEO took the time to come talk to them. And they, again, want to sort of pander to the individual to a degree. And so you've got to work really hard to break down that distortion field that surrounds these people. Otherwise, they're continually just reinforcing their own message and not hearing the truth. So let me be one of those people who, uh, let me break the mold. People don't like to be the one brand with bad news to you know burst the bubble. Let me ask a hard question. You're an ethics compliance officer. You realize in the organization that, say you just joined Discover This, or if there's a new CEO who's come in and that person is surrounding themselves with people who are those sycophants, is there anything you can do or are you doomed? I'll, uh, so I'll go yeah. first because I know Jane will have a much more considered answer than me. So I'll let her think for a minute. But I would say, I would say <laughs> that I think you have to immediately confront that issue because mm -hmm. if you allow that to go on, you are on a slippery path to um, disaster. And so confronting the individuals involved, confronting the leadership, and taking whatever steps to break down um, that sort of culture of obsequiousness and create a culture of healthy dialogue is mission number one. And if you are thwarted in that effort, it is time to jump out of the ship because I think that is a situation that is just not salvageable if the individuals involved are not willing to make the work to, to fix it. What we're talking about here, Adam, as as we all well know, is not new. You see these signs all the time in the organization. And the difference is what, what you choose to do about it. And I think that if you have a conversation, if you open up a conversation with a leader or your board sponsor or whoever it might be, and you're not getting anywhere, then it's a clear sign. That you know, there should be a, there's probably a quick exit to the door, and it would be your decision to take it. it. From a cultural perspective, if you've got silos, silo structures being deeply ingrained in the organisation, and a whole load of self-interest flying around for the people who sit at the top of those silos, then if you, we know clearly that that is unhealthy. It's not helpful for you in an ethics and compliance role to help you to be able to provide evidence that uh, there are issues that leadership need to be sitting up and paying attention and on the other side of the coin that will prevent you from running a, a an ethics and compliance program that gets deeply ingrained in the organization which of course it should be because if the organization is siloed then it's going to be a real tough and uphill struggle. But if you can open those conversations, help people to recognize, understand and see why those silos are so destructive um, and what the potential dangers are, and as you said, Adam, the risks, then that's a good thing. Um, well, I, one of the things that's going through my mind and having met at the SEC many really driven ethics and compliance officers, if they don't feel they're achieving anything or making a difference, then it makes their lives much less uh, fulfilling. So it could be that you walk into an organization, you think, good grief. <laughs> but if you're being listened to, and if you are being heard and different actions and decisions can be taken as a result of your influence, then that's a really great thing. 
Well, on, on that note, I want to thank you both for uh, taking the time for this interesting and fun conversation. Uh, I want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen. I'm Adam Turtletaub from SCCE and HCCA. I hope we're able to expand your compliance perspective.